Almighty God, fill us with your grace that we might see others as you see them and love others with your love. Amen. I don't know if any of you have the practice of reading the assigned scripture for the Sunday before you arrive at church, but those of you who do may have guessed that I would be preaching today. As the practice goes, whenever we get to the passages that are bloody and violent that talk about unquenchable fire and worms that eat you from the inside that never die. Give it to the new guy. In the opening collect for today, Stephen prayed that God would grant us the fullness of God's grace. And in our prayers of the people today, we will echo this prayer, responding to each petition in resounding unison, praying, fill us with the fullness of your grace. The fullness of God's grace is that powerful, everlasting, abundant life that Jesus entered this temporal life in order to give us a glimpse of. In this passage, when Jesus refers to entering life, Jesus does not qualify it saying entering the afterlife. But Jesus says it is better to enter life. This grace-filled life is an invitation that Jesus offers us right now in this moment. And the grace-filled life is a life that God intends for you to live. It's how God sees you and understands our being. But sometimes aspects of our life fill us up in ways that prevent us from being filled with God's grace. Our identities, our characteristics, our hopes, our desires, our ego take up room, room that we should be reserving for God's full grace. So in today's gospel, Jesus is pleading with us that if anything is keeping us from experiencing God's grace, we should cut it out. And Jesus is also assuring us that whatever it is we find we need to cut out, God's grace is far better than whatever that is. Jesus' understanding of the body is a bit different than ours, Throughout the New Testament, the body is used as a metaphor. This is not a passage we should be taking literally. If any of you have promised yourself all week that you need to stop eating donuts at the coffee hour, and then after the sermon you go out and your hand causes you to sin by taking a donut, please do not cut off your hand. That is not what it means. If any of you are watching online because you woke up too late, maybe you're staying up binge watching Netflix, do not cut out your eye and throw it away. 
That is not what this teaching means. In some ways, it might be a little bit more challenging of a quest to understand parts of ourselves that are sometimes good can become dominant in our lives and therefore we need to cut them out figuratively. That's what Jesus means when he references the hands and the feet, that we need to cut out these parts of us that fill us up. For example, at the beginning of the gospel reading today, the disciples are filled with a little bit of ego and pride. There's someone else doing miracles in the name of Jesus, and that someone else doesn't follow us. Well, to Jesus, this is great news. The grace of God flows through each and every one of us, not just the twelve. So Jesus tells these disciples, cut out your ego and pride and be filled with the grace of God. We might understand Jesus' rhetoric telling them it is better to cut out your status as a disciple that you cling to rather than to live a life where God's love is so diminished that only 12 people can convey it. We also see this wisdom when we read the book of Esther and allow me this indulgence that we spend a minute or two pondering the lessons of Esther in light of this lens of the gospel. The story of Esther our reading today comes from several different parts of the book and it's the only time in our three-year cycle of lectionary readings that we read anything from the book of Esther. And yet it is the story of the Purim festival that is a major feast for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Those of you might remember the story. Uh, Esther has a certain status in the king's court and she is favored and privileged among her role. And she enjoys that. But Mordecai reminds her that her status doesn't come from the king. Her true identity as a Jewish woman, her identity comes from her status as an Israelite, as one of God's chosen people. And when she realizes this, she acts from that place of God's grace. And she is emboldened and encouraged to confront the king in a way that ultimately saves her people from genocide. She cut out her status in the king's court and became full of God's grace. Haman is the antithetical to this lesson. Haman is a high-ranking officer in the king's court and is fully invested in his position of power and privilege. And he hatches a plot to kill the Jews in order to increase his own position. And yet, he finds out how quickly that status and privilege can crumble. He invests in the king, and the king winds up humiliating him. And then ultimately, Haman dies a tragic and ironic death hanging from the gallows that he built intended for Mordecai. Again, we could hear Jesus interpreting this story, saying 
It is better if you cut out the status of the king's court than to live a life that, where God's love is absent. Now, I want to be clear that sometimes these parts of us that we need to cut out can be good things. God is not condemning, Jesus is not condemning our hand or our foot, but Jesus is condemning when those things dominate other parts of us, our grace-filled life that God intends for us. I've experienced this in my own life. When I was serving in ministry with people experiencing homelessness, I used to get so worked up about serving the poor and defending their rights. And like some of the disciples who wanted a Messiah who would be a political revolutionary and overthrow the Roman oppressors, I had made my Messiah a person who would come in and cut through bureaucratic red tape and build enough housing in this city that each person living on the street would have dignity. I was filled with self-righteousness as a crusader for homeless rights rather than being filled with the grace of God. And yet, as I worked with these people, I developed relationships with them and learned to receive love and hospitality from them. And I realized that God's grace was being offered to me through my relationship with these people, not through policy reform and not through the works of my hands. And this is when I realized that my hands, my works, my works righteousness, you might say, became more dominant in my life. And I needed to cut off that hand of works righteousness in order that I could be filled with the fullness of God's grace. And when I received that grace, I realized a true lesson about God's kingdom. The people I was working with who were experiencing homelessness did not need a house to be dignified. They were dignified because they were God's beloved children. It was my own cultural bias and assumptions that made me think that dignity came through home ownership. I was blinded to God's goodness and grace, but through the relationships offered to me by the people experiencing homelessness, I was able to receive God's grace and be filled with God's grace and come out changed. This is the gospel that Mark presents to us. It's a challenging gospel. It's a challenge to see yourself as God sees you, as a vessel for God's grace, the potential to be filled with God's grace, showing love and mercy and pity, being agents of hope and justice and love in the world. And here Jesus challenges us to examine ourselves and cut out what might be preventing us from receiving the fullness of God's grace. And we are challenged to attune ourselves to the ways that we already are filled with grace and experience grace and the ways we are invited to share God's grace with others. Amen.